This episode of the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Gooder. To get free shipping on your sunglass purchase from Gooder, visit the link in the show notes, gooder.com slash holly. Hello, and welcome to the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast. My name is Holly Samuel, and I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, podcast host, and fellow runner. And today, I am really excited to welcome other fellow podcast hosts and runner and coach, Matt Chittum. You may know him from the Rambling Runner podcast to the show. Um, We are going to cover the topic of basically finding different paces and different efforts in your running. I think when a lot of us start out running, we probably start off maybe just trying to run to the end of the block or trying to run to that stop sign. And eventually we, you know, are able to run, you know, for a duration of time without walking, or we're using walk run as, you know, an intentional way to get in time on feet. And once we also want to start maybe getting faster as runners, taking down our time in certain distances, like the marathon or the half marathon, the 5k, the 10k, that's when we need to start incorporating speed work or quality sessions into our training and maybe a more polarized type of training. So that means that, you know, a certain percent of our total mileage is, you know, one effort and then another percent of our mileage is maybe a harder effort. Um, so if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I'm starting to understand that speed work is something that I maybe want to start incorporating, or maybe I am incorporating speed work, but I don't have a really good understanding as to why um, or what the intention behind the speed work is. This is exactly what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about what does it mean to run recovery effort? What does it mean to run easy effort? What does it mean to run marathon effort or half marathon effort or threshold effort, 10K effort, 5K effort, VO2 max, mile effort? Um, especially if you're someone who maybe hasn't run a marathon before and you're like, how do I run marathon effort without having ever run a marathon? (laughs) Um, and that type of thing as well, so that you have a better understanding of why certain speed workouts are structured the way that they're structured and how to execute them as a runner. Um, and also how to look at your training as a whole, especially if you're more of maybe like a data focused, super type a person and having numbers, is really helpful for you to understand, you know, how, where you're at, or if that workout was successful, we're going to talk about, you know, how to know what pace to run, and also how to know what effort to run, because those are two different things. (laughs) Um, And when they overlap, you know, that's kind of the sweet spot. But for a lot of runners, it can be more helpful to understand what things are supposed to feel like, versus just trying to force a pace to work out by looking at your watch the whole run. So I'm going to start stop rambling on my own and invite the rambling runner himself to the podcast. Let's invite Coach Matt to help us chat about this topic. Well, hello, Matt Chittum, rambling runner. Welcome to the Hollyfield Nutrition Podcast. How's it going? Holly, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm always excited to chat with another podcast host because I feel like it's just a little bit more relaxed. Everyone knows what's going on. So I'm psyched to talk to you as a running coach today. And we knew we've known each other since before you were a podcast host. Yeah, I know. I know the tables have turned. <laughs> there you go. No, this is exciting. Thank you so much for for inviting me on. And I should say that you know you're someone who's doing such good work in this space. And even two days ago, 
I refer someone to you uh, who was looking for nutrition help and, you know, in full transparency, I gave them like a couple options, like here are some great people and you're definitely in the group and you're doing such good, such good work um, for runners of all stripes and just having someone who's an RD who's also a runner uh, is super helpful. So I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. That's always good to hear. I know I, um, I've been listening to your podcast forever, so it's always great to get to actually chat with you in person. Cause I Let's feel just like do this the in... whole time. Let's just, just, yeah. just compliment <laughs> each other the whole time. This is great. <laughs> I was going to say, you're just in my ears when I'm running anyway. So might as well. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited to chat with you. Um, not even just as a podcast host, but as a running coach, cause I know you do that as well. So in case people don't know who you are, you could just kind of introduce yourself to everyone who is Matt what does he do? Where does he live? Yeah. And I'm going to assume most people don't know who I am. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but my name is Matt Chittam. I am a podcast host and a running coach as well. And uh, I live in um, Coventry, Rhode Island here in the Northeast. And so it's a, I, I basically lived in the Northeast my entire life. You know, I went to, went to school in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is like just over the line from Connecticut. So I've been in the Northeast the whole time. And um, for me, you know, my main job right now and my, my, basically my full-time work is as a podcaster and as a running coach. And that hasn't always been the case for the last couple of years. That has been my full-time employment. The Rambling Runner podcast is my main podcast. It's kind of been one of the top 10 or 15 running podcasts in the country for the last three or four years, uh, kind of focuses on dedicated amateur runners. And occasionally we have conversations like this as well. And I'm about to launch season three of Road to the Trials, which I am really excited about. We have five people already locked in uh, who have said yes to this. So, I mean, it's, we're going to have eight people in total. It's going to be great. When is this podcast going to air? Probably um, it'll be in the spring around like March or so. So yeah, oh. you should be, you should get going on so that by if then. If you haven't listened your... to the Road to the Trial season three yet, what are you <laughs> waiting for? We're recording this on January 2nd, but we give it yeah. some perspective. That's why I'm talking about the future, in the future about something that may have been habit in the past for someone listening to this. Um, so yeah, season three, get really excited for that. Um, and for people who don't know, basically Road to the Trials is we follow eight runners as they basically this year, We'll follow them for a full 365 days as they prepare for the Olympic trials or trying to qualify for the Olympic mm -hmm. trials. Kind of like a, a peek behind the curtain, get a full view of like what it takes to be, you know, one of these high level athletes and just the, the mental, physical, and emotional demands therein. Uh, and then from a running coach perspective, I'm part of McCurdy Trained, which is one of, if not the biggest run coaching service in the country, certainly one of the biggest. Um, and that's, that's been a lot of fun. I've usually coached between 30 and 40 athletes um, at one time. And it's a, it's a really enjoyable experience for me. Oh, that's awesome. Can you believe you're on season three of Road to the Trials? Like there's been that many Olympic cycles since you've been a podcast host. I think that's so awesome. Well, the, the reason there's three seasons is because the, um, of COVID. Yeah. Because cause we well, had shortened. So, no, because the, the track trials got postponed mm -hmm. a year. So we mm -hmm. had road of the trials for um, what's it called for the marathon, which was a, which was a blast. And people really loved that. And that's what this is going to be too. This is all about season three, yeah. all about the marathon. And then season two, we were going to, I was like, all right, I'm going back and forth. Should I do season two getting ready for the track trials? It was a really condensed thing, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you're like, all right, you know, in February, the, the marathon trials ended. Am I going to relaunch this? I had people signed up, but I wasn't still wasn't 100% sure whether we we're going to do it or not. And then once COVID hit, we kind of pushed it back a year and then here we are yeah. season three. And, um, and what's the thing is we're starting way earlier this time before we, mm -hmm. the seasons were about four to six months. This time it's going to be a full year. So, you know, we're talking cool. about like 
you know, we're recording this, like I'm still not used to saying 2023, but I'm talking about the 2024 trials. So I feel like I'm in like this time loop. <laughs> yeah. Just like the athletes. It's like, all right, the Olympic year is, or cycle is over time to think about the next one, which is wild. Cause they've been, yeah, the, the timetables have been all messed up because of COVID. And then if you're track or if you don't make it in the marathon, some people would go down to like 10 K on the track. So yeah, it's, I'm really excited for that. That'll be really cool to hear people's journeys with just even trying to qualify. I always love following that. Yeah. And, and it's going to be earlier than last time. Cause I think last time was the last week and the last weekend in February, I think was the detract trials yeah. in, I'm sorry, the marathon trials in Atlanta. Marathon. Whereas for um, 2024, I think it's February 3rd. So it's yeah. so basically we're, we're kind of losing a month. So just from a drama perspective, one of the big, uh, one of the big races in the lead up uh, in 2020 was Houston because yeah. you had, that was kind of like the last stop on the, can I get the OTQ chain? train mm -hmm. so a lot of people especially like post cim people who didn't get it kind of had like this right. quick recovery into houston while at the same time the elites looked at houston so, you know when i say that i mean the people who viewed atlanta as like i'm going there to make the olympics yeah. they viewed houston as like the perfect opportunity for a tune-up race so you had a lot of folks going to houston for the half because it was mm -hmm. almost exactly six weeks out from Atlanta. So it was like this really cool thing where you had, you know, the people who were, who were really in, in um, you know, I almost like, you know, I would say title contention in a way um, there. And then you had the other people like the, the Tommy Rivs and the Peter Bromkas of the world who are live, who were living these like very high profile quests to OTQ were also mm -hmm. there. And it was kind of funny because you also had them like in the same running group. Like they've so many pictures from that race of, Peter Bromka, Sarah Hall, Tommy Ribs as part of this larger group, kind of like running like three abreast. And it's like, wait, why are the, why are all these pictures out of these three people kind of side by side? It was because you know they're all running the same pace because Sarah's running the half and yeah. they're running the full. And they're and you know, she's not like gunning it, but she's like getting a good workout in and they're like trying to pace themselves. So they like there's just a anyway, we're going so far afield the whole point of this podcast. Anyway, I'm just really excited. No, I love it. Keep going. <laughs> um, I was going to say it kind of goes into as well, like our topic today, which is like finding different race pace, different running gears and what that looks like. So even that example of like, yeah, people might use a race not to race it to their fullest potential. It might even just be to practice a certain pace. So um, yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that it was a couple weeks earlier. So that does make it different from a racing perspective too, because Houston is such a big deal. Um, and I know a lot of people were using that as a tune up or even as a last ditch effort to qualify. And then they had to kind of just like recover real quick and then, you know, run the trials. So that's a good point. But um, yeah, I don't know if, I don't know how many people are going to run Houston this year from an elite perspective, right? Because even before right. it's like, all right, this is a really good half marathon but no one's going to want to race a half marathon two and a half weeks out. No. Yeah. Yeah. Probably if they're going to try and break like a record, they're probably not also going to try to make the Olympic team, but I don't know a lot of people who would be doing both. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so for today's topic, um, 
you know, I think this is such an interesting topic. I, I'm, you know, a coach myself, and this is something that I'm always trying to talk to my runners about. And I imagine you as well with just different levels of coaching people is, okay, you know, once we kind of get over the fact that, okay, we can go and we can run for a certain duration of time. And now we want to either get faster or we want to work on different, you know, gears of our fitness. It's trying to find those different training paces that can help us have like different racing outcomes. Um, so, I mean, in terms of like what we're talking about, the different gears of running, like, could you go into maybe what we're talking about in terms of like, just identifying what those pace ranges might look like for people who are like, I'm either running or I'm walking. There is no in between. Yeah, I get, if you want to start from like the extremes perspective, right? You could say, all right, we were kind of going from recovery pace on one end. And, we, and basically mm -hmm. that, that is what it sounds like if someone's completely new to running. Recovery is exactly what it sounds like. It's like one of the, it's one of the few paces where the name of it actually describes what it is. And then right. the other side of it is like someone's doing like 100 meter repeats, right? So probably not a big portion of the people listening to this, but maybe someone, if they were, if they're a dedicated amateur runner, which is probably the, the, the overwhelming majority of your listeners, the, the kind of the opportunity to do that would be maybe if they're getting ready for like a mile race or mile time trial and things like that. Um, maybe you're doing hundreds on and off. Anyway, those are kind of like the extremes for the for 99.9% .9 of athletes and everything else kind of falls within that range, kind of going from recovery pace to easy pace to depending on someone's fitness level, maybe 50K pace to marathon, to half marathon, to threshold, to 10K, to 5K slash, but 5K is also kind of like your VO2 max. And then uh, in between, and in between VO2 max and 10K, depending on someone's fitness level, you also could have critical velocity, talk about confusing mm -hmm. names. And then you have the VO2 max slash 5K. And then most people aren't gonna go faster than that in training. And if they do, it's probably just strides. Yeah. Um, which will be, you know, just kind of like a fun, you know, basically try to imagine yourself like on the, you know, on the kind of the imagery I like to use, like use is imagine yourself like at recess as a kid, kind of like that fun, fast feeling you're going 15 to 30 seconds. Uh, if you're doing flat ground strides as opposed to like hill strides where you're kind of bounding up the hills, more of a plyometric exercise. Um, so those are kind of like from a broad base perspective, those are most of the ranges. I, did I say threshold pace? <laughs> threshold pace yeah, is you did. an hour level, an hour effort yeah. level. Um, again, and what does that mean, right? How many people have raced for an hour? They, and this is where the crux of this, why this is such a great question is so many times you can give someone a description and instead of making that more clear, it just like, it's one of those statements then, then requires three more questions, right? Like, <laughs> all right, oh, here, I want you to do say, you know, one mile repeats with a 50k float it's like well i've never run a 50k so what does yeah. that mean right and it's like someone's like all right i I've run a marathon but i had to walk the last three miles does that mean my 50k pace is walking like what is <laughs> what are we talking about here so this is where like these these term of art uh signifiers can get a little murky yeah i i love that point because i think that's that's part of what learning about all of this, just it almost comes with experience because I think a lot of runners, and like you said, most of the people listening to this podcast are probably dedicated amateur runners, probably in like the half full ultra marathon ranges. We probably don't have a lot of like high school 800 meter runners here, but who knows? Um, and, 
you know, when you're kind of first starting to run for those events, a lot of it's just about, hey, I did the whole thing without walking or, you know, I did the whole thing and I only had to walk a little bit or maybe I am doing run walk intervals. And once you get more experienced where it's not a question of if you're going to run the whole thing or if you're going to be able to execute your run walk intervals appropriately, um, you know, then it kind of comes to, okay, you know, I can run fast or I can run slow but then there's different gears of fast. And that's kind of what we're talking about um, because it can be hard to understand, okay, what do I run from a marathon pace perspective if I've never run a marathon before? And I have no idea what my marathon pace is. So when it comes to, um, you know, kind of talking about that first ex- ex- end of the spectrum, kind of like you visualized there, and people can't see us, but we're both using a lot of hand motions. Um, <laughs> it's a podcast, but you know, when we start at recovery pace, like what should that feel like? What would that also be sub- described as maybe more objectively? So we can kind of give the subjective and then the objective overview of that pace. Right. So the idea of recovery pace is almost like like the the doctor's, I forget the, the name of it, but it's like the doctor's like credo, which is like do no harm, right? So yeah. it's like, that's what your recovery pace <laughs> is. Your recovery pace is designed to get miles in maybe loosen up your body and not provide any kind of lasting stress to what you're doing, right? So that that's the idea behind it. And not that easy runs are extremely stressful either, if you're gonna like juxtapose it against that, uh, which would be a natural thing to do. But really the idea is, all right, I'm getting these miles in just to move, just to get my body going because I'm stiff from the workout yesterday, or maybe this is a bridge day between two harder days and things like that. And the idea is, you're running at a pace that you could, if you were fueled appropriately and, and you were strong enough that you could literally run all day, right? So no stress, just going and the really feeling like if anything, instead of tapping the gas, you're probably tapping the brakes, mm-hmm. right? So that kind of feel, um, you know, the kind of thing where, um, let me put it in a different perspective, say you're someone who works from home, right? The kind of pace where you could literally like, if you had a Bluetooth headset on that, you could do a meeting while you're doing your run, right? Mm-hmm. And like, and for the most, and unless it was a windy day, people would be none the wiser, right? That would be kind of a recovery type effort. Yeah, yeah. And for some people too, that might be a walk, you know, if we're kind of talking about putting heart rate into it is, yeah, my, if, if you were trying to make it feel really effortless and, you know, your your pace is in a certain range, that might look like more of a walk. But, um, you know, to kind of go off of easy pace, recovery pace, you know, cause we're kind of going down the spectrum here in terms of speed and effort. Um, do you have like a certain parameter you like to give people around like having a speed limit on these days compared to say marathon or half marathon pace, if they know what those paces are for them for recovery day. Yeah, not really. I think it's just one of the things like for recovery day, you kind of know it as you go. Like for some people, they might not need a recovery day. I mean, part of this is like, as a coach is like, you only can know so much because so much of people's um, accumulated stress happens outside of their running calendar, right? Like yeah. we're, we're recording this just after the holidays. So accumulated stress could be coming from all different kinds of directions where a recovery day might be more needed than others. And even if it is needed, maybe it's not because of running. It might be because of a 10 different things and running just happens to be one of them. So if I put on, you know, recovery pace, I also give you know, the athlete's latitude of like, Hey, like maybe that just means easy pace today. Right. That, mm-hmm. and that, and that can be just fine. Right. If they feel like, Hey, this is super duper easy. This does not feel stressful in any way, shape or form. 
then they're going to be fine. Again, I, and I yeah. think that, that um, that's a good barometer if you're looking at heart rate. And I don't think I'm not a big proponent of like looking at heart rate in real time as you go. But if say mm -hmm. someone were to do that, or if they were going to look at it after the fact and then associate it with certain pace groups or, or pace ranges, I should say, you know, we're probably talking about, you know, for, you know, again, heart rate's dependent on age and things like that. But for the most part, we're talking about probably sub 145 for the overwhelming amount of people. Uh, maybe if you're 18 to 22, maybe we're talking sub 152. Um, but I think for the most part, you're, you're not talking about sub 145 heart rate. Again, that's on flat ground and kind of averaged out over the, the length of like the, the last two thirds of your run. Uh, but that's kind of, I guess, the from a parameter perspective. Another yeah. way to look at it too is like, if you weren't congested, could you breathe through your nose through the effort or the vast majority or the vast majority of it? Um, and that, that's also, again, or just like talk through the whole thing, right? So you're running with a friend or you're talking on the phone. If you could talk, like, <laughs> so sometimes like, you know, if you're, if you're running a VO2 max, like you're talking in words, right? Yes or no, right? If you're talking at like this threshold pace, you can maybe talk like a, a sentence or something like that, right? If you're at, at recovery pace, you could talk in novellas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like to give my athletes to that barometer, like, Hey, every mile check in, could you sing? Could you talk in full sentences without having to huh, kind of huh, breathe through it? You know, and if, if not, then you need to pump the brakes. And if yes, great, you're probably doing it right. Um, for a lot of people too, I think a mistake is probably running those easy runs too fast. Um, so when it comes to kind of like easy pace compared to let's just go down to marathon, you know, kind of as our next barometer, what would you say the difference is between those two, especially for someone who's maybe never run a marathon before or never raced a marathon before? Yeah. I think there's a, the, what you just said there at the end, I think there's, a, there's two distinct differences there. Someone who's never run a marathon before there probably isn't unless they're like a very accomplished athlete who's coming right. to the marathon after like a lengthy running career, taking those people out of this statement, Marathon pace is probably like, I just want to finish. That's my marathon pace. Right. So like, so, so that's, so for a lot of people, and that's an under, so basically the marathon pace is the easy pace, right? Cause they're mm -hmm. like, I just want to finish this sucker. I've never done this before, or I've done one. It was three years ago. Like there's no, I'm not getting any benefit from that race leading into this race and you know, stuff like that. So I think for a lot of people in the amateur world, easy pace or the faster end of easy is probably your marathon pace. Okay. However, if you're someone who has like been putting in like years and years of running, you know, consistently, or you're someone who's, you know, basically someone who can, you know, look at marathon, look at a marathon and say like, Hey, I can run faster than my easy pace for the full 26 miles here. Right. Then, then that's when we're start. That's what we mean by marathon pace. And that's why marathon calculators um, are not the best, right? Cause they look at your 5k pace and say, Oh, this is what you should do. And the, the huge overhanging caveat there is, you know, this presumption of experience and strength and being able to fuel properly and a million other things that fall into that. So from an easy pace perspective, the idea is to be, again, it's not a pace, it's a range. Okay. Is the idea that, okay, you are not putting in a ton of stress from a, on your, on your cardiovascular system. However, you could be accumulating a decent amount of stress on your, on your body, on your, your physical body, like in terms of like the overall mileage, right? So like 
you know, there might be a point where you're like, hey, I'm, this is new for me. I've never run 40 miles a week. Even if you're not doing workout that week, there can be stress there because your body is getting used to that load. Okay. So there is stress there, but aerobically, it might not be a stressful situation. Okay. So again, the talking test is a really good one. If you're running with people, you should be able to talk freely as if you were just sitting on your couch. Okay. That's a good, that's a good barometer. Um, especially if it's on flat ground. Um, I'm a proponent of if you're running up hills, you can dip into the moderate pace. All right. I don't, I don't believe in like the I'm not a big proponent of math training. So the, the, the math training method where like, basically there's, there's a hard stopper for all heart rate zones. Like if you're running up hills and you live in New Hampshire, there's going to be hills everywhere. You know, yeah. It's okay. Right? It's not like you're going to be sprinting up them and you have the corresponding downhill as well. Um, so you just have this zone of, okay, we're not going too hard. Okay. We're not breathing. We're breathing in a way that allows us to talk as much as we need to. And kind of like with recovery, there's this feeling of like, I could hold this pace for a lot longer than I'm planning on running today, right? It should never be like, oh man, like I got to the end of my run. I'm like, oh, how did I, how did I make it? Like this, this was a real big struggle. Again, there can be other factors of like, you know, like maybe your stomach's bothering you or things like that. But just from a cardiovascular perspective, you should never feel that way. Or like, oh man, like I need to be like fueling all the time in this effort, right? It's like, not really. Again, we're, we're big on fueling here. This is what this whole podcast is about. And you and I are simpatico in our beliefs on this. But like you mm -hmm. should be putting out the kind of effort that doesn't require, you know, three gels of sugar in order to keep yeah. doing it. Right. The whole point is that you're not dipping into your glucose all that often on this easy run. Right. Of course, you'll have some because, you know, that's just how the body works. But you shouldn't be like, all right, I need to be continually refueling every 30 minutes just to get through my easy run, right? If you're doing that, then you are absolutely running too fast. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good test too. Like if you're someone who has the experience of like doing maybe like a boot camp pit style class versus coming out of like a 45 minute truly easy run, like your hunger levels and how depleted you feel at the end of those two would probably feel a bit different because typically the more intense we go on this kind of pacing or effort or heart rate spectrum, the faster we do burn through glucose and glycogen stores. And that's not to say that on these long events, like the marathon or the 50 K or whatever, we're not using them because we totally are, but there's also a large underlying, you know, component of burning fat for fuel where, you know, you shouldn't feel like your blood sugar is taking a complete dumpster fire drop. Um, cause you go out too fast during these easy runs. Um, and I think too, like if anyone's listening to this, who has ever run maybe with someone who is naturally like slower than them and you've run with them and you've let them kind of set the pace and then you finish and you're like, Oh, I could talk the whole time. And I kind of like, don't really have any aches or pains. Like I feel pretty good. I almost feel like I didn't really run. That's kind of like that recovery, maybe to easy effort that we're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's, instead of, I think easy pace is harder to define. Yeah. But it's easier to say what it isn't, right? I'll tell you yeah. this, it is not a barometer for how fit you're getting. It is not. Right. A, if you're like, hey, last week I ran my easy pace at nine minute pace, and this year ran this, and this week I ran at 850 pace, that is a marked improvement. No, it's not. It's not. Mm -hmm. Believe me, it's, it's not. It's not how the body works. It doesn't improve that fast. Even if it did, that does, it's, a, it's a meaningless improvement. That's, a, that's not what you want to be doing. Okay. As long as your stride isn't affected, so all of a sudden, as long as your cadence isn't dipping way lower, and all of a sudden your foot strike is way different, and your gait and your gait is different, 
there is no such thing as too slow in your easy pace, as long as you have your normal gait and your normal cadence and all of those things, okay? There's no such thing as too slow because you're getting all of the biological benefits of that run. Your, your mitochondrial density is still there. Your time on feet maybe even maybe even improving because you're going to be out there for longer. And you're going to be in a situation where your aerobic system is, is doing what it needs to do in order to function. You're working on your fat burning and all of that stuff, okay? It, your pace, there's no such thing as too slow, again, as long as you're your, your, your stride is the way it's supposed to be. Okay. And I have an example for this. One of my runners, Jessica Brown, she's absolutely fantastic. She, her easy pace is traditionally around 1030 or so on a lot of her runs. Again, it's a range, but that's kind of the median easy pace, right? She BQ'd at CIM this year. Hmm. I'm going to say it again. She was, her easy runs are at 1030 pace. She BQ'd this year. She's four, She's a 46-year-old, 47-year-old runner. Um, she, she's okay with me saying that. She's very open about this. as a master's runner. So she, that. she broke, I think she broke 345 at CIM. Again, so that her marathon time of the people that I coach is probably the biggest delta between her, her average easy pace and her marathon pace. But it just shows that it didn't affect her. And this is someone who her easy pace hasn't changed, but her marathon time has gone down consistently. And she is not new to the marathon. In fact, she ran the Marine Corps 50K six weeks out from CIM. So that's 50K on pavement. That's not a 50K wow. on trail. So that's a whole different, um, you know, what does your body is completely different. And she was able to bounce back and handle that. And this was just a great example of her easy paces didn't matter. Had no, had no negative effect and didn't change anything for her. And I think that's an important thing to remember because again, your easy pace is not a proxy for how fit you are getting. That is where workouts come in and where races come in. And that's a whole different podcast, but th those are the barometers. Also focusing on that sort of thing is probably not best. It's probably more just you're out there to enjoy it. So let's just do that. Let's take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor today for the podcast, which is Gooder. I love Gooder sunglasses so dang much. And just the other weekend when it was about negative mm, 30 degrees Fahrenheit here in New Hampshire was one of those weird cold snaps that I got. I thought to myself, you know what? I've run in about this cold before. The only problem with it outside is that it is cold. Like there wasn't any snow or ice or anything like that. I was like, let me just go do a short run outside just to say I did it to get outside. It was sunny. I just had the urge to go outside more than to drive to the gym and get on the treadmill. And so I did. And what does Gooder have to do with this? Well, I made a valiant effort <laughs> to cover my entire body and have no exposed skin. And one of the tools that I used to do this was Gooder's Wrap G style sunglasses. I have the teal pair that I absolutely love. Um, and they basically covered half of my face. And the thing that I loved about them was that I could pull my neck warmer up over my nose. And because of the way the nose piece is on their wrap G's and also their um, snow G's, which are like snow goggles, they don't fog up. So your breath, you know, stays warm because you are covered with like a neck warmer or a buff, but your glasses don't fog up because when your glasses fog up in the winter, they usually also then freeze, which is a problem that I didn't even have. I was toasty warm the whole run. I dressed appropriately. My glasses didn't fog up and my face stayed covered and I stayed protected from 
the sun as well. I love my gooders. I'm a huge fan of the mock G's, which is an aviator style in addition to the rap G's. And my husband loves the OG's as well. We are a gooder family. And now you can be too. If you want to get free shipping on your next gooder purchase, visit the link in the show notes. Now let's get back to today's guest and continue talking about running off of pace versus effort with Matt Chittum. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was hoping to drive home with this episode. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think some people too, like it's like the faster I get during my training cycle, it's like the slower my recovery days become because hopefully you're able to get more out of your workouts. Um, if you're recovering just as hard by not taxing the body too much and still getting the aerobic benefits out of it and staying healthy enough to actually be consistent. Um, so kind of going down to like, let's kind of go down to like half marathon in that thresholdy kind of area. Um, so you defined already that threshold pace is the pace and effort that you could sustain for an hour if you were to race all out for an hour, um, which is so arbitrary because I don't know anyone who's done that, right? So what does that feel like if you can kind of get into that compared to, again, if we're racing like a marathon or a half marathon? Right. And this is where looking at half marathon and 10K pace versus threshold pace gets tricky, right? Because yeah. you're there may be, there are, I guarantee you there are people listening to this where their 10K pace is exactly the same as their threshold pace because it yep. takes them <laughs> an hour to run a 10K. However, there's, I can know there's other people listening to this who their threshold pace is probably in between their 10K and their half marathon pace or maybe not exactly halfway, but like pretty close to it. Right. So all of a sudden, these are three different pace settings for them, mm -hmm. which are probably between seven and 10 seconds per mile different. So this really is dependent on your fitness level and your strength and speed and, and all of those things. Right. So threshold pace, um, a lot of times people will use this for, um, you know, for tempo runs. When people think of tempo efforts, they're usually talking about between threshold and half marathon efforts or, you know, and somewhere in between. Um, so for threshold, I think that the best way of viewing it is once you get going, so not in the first four minutes of your effort, but once you get going and there's kind of a buildup of um, everything that's going on in your body is that you're at that threshold between breathing hard and not breathing hard, right? So kind of like, so you're not quite huffing and puffing, but you're not far off. Again, not right away, because it's that, that would mean that you're running like, you know, PR mile effort. If it's happening yeah. in the first 30 seconds, we're talking about like at least a half mile into the effort. Okay. So that feeling of, all right, I'm not, I, I, I can catch my breath on the run, but it's close. Okay. That's kind of that, that feeling that you want to have. Uh, a lot of times I'll put it on people's calendars, like maybe a 20 to 30 minute um, continuous effort, or maybe we're doing three by 10 minutes or, you know, two by 12 minutes, again, with a, with a little bit of jogging rest in between. That's a good way of looking at it. Half marathon effort for a lot of people will be kind of a notch below that. Yeah. Okay. So something where like, Hey, you could go out and do and a really extended tempo at half marathon effort, even if someone who's running, you know, seven minute per mile half marathon, right? So people who are running a 132 half can go in and do, again, it'll be a hard day, but they can go out and run for 45, 50 minutes at a half marathon effort. There's other people who run a half marathon listening to this or more in the nine, 930, 10 minute range, who, again, if you gave them 45 minutes at that effort, it would kind of feel like a fast, easy run. 
And I think that that's, that's a nice place to be uh, as well. But uh, ultimately those three zones, 10K, threshold and half marathon it kind of depends on the fitness level where it's like for 10k say you're someone who runs sub hour in the 10k i just described threshold pace it's kind of like a notch above that okay so like you are you're you're after again after the first half mile or so you're breathing hard and you notice it and you can feel the lactic acid slowly accumulating not fast right? Not quickly accumulating because it's more like 5k pace, um, but kind of slowly accumulating after about 15 minutes or so, you can really start to feel your legs or, you know, not maybe 15 to 20 minutes are starting to, you're starting to notice that maybe you don't have quite the spring in your stride. Maybe you're putting a little bit more effort uh, into your, into your stride. Um, that's kind of more of the 10k effort uh, where the half marathon for a lot of people could just feel like not too dissimilar from marathon pace. Um, for people who are kind of in the, the two hour half marathon zone where it just feels like, Hey, it feels like a faster, easy run, but it's kind of like that fun pace. And I, I think that's oftentimes the word I like to use for that, that zone that's faster than your easy range is sometimes mm -hmm. people, sometimes people like to say moderate, moderate effort, right? Um, kind of like the idea is like, Hey, we're not going to give you a, a specific pace because there's just too many factors to do that oftentimes. Um, so mm -hmm. a moderate effort. Or I think that was like that fun effort, right? Where like you're running an easy, pace. say you're going on an easy run. We've all done this where you're running an easy run and you just feel, it's just one of those days you feel really good, but you're like, hey, I got to work out tomorrow. I want to stay in my easy pace zone. So you start tapping the gas every once in a while, right? For these marathon slash half marathon efforts, there's just, there is no gas. I mean, sorry, there, there is no, there's no brakes, right? There's yeah. no tapping the brakes. Okay. It's like you run, you feel good, let it flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like that flow state almost like you talked about um, the way I like to describe it to people, especially like threshold half marathon kind of area is if you were to kind of scoot yourself like right up to the grindstone, but not touch it and just kind of look at it and be right there <laughs> um, for the whole time. So it's not, you know, like you're totally burning yourself out, but we're not also, you know, backing away from it. It's I think it's hard for some people to find. Um and easier for others who are like, oh, I know exactly what you talk about. And for people who have ever gone out too fast in the marathon, it's probably what you felt, you know, in that first part of the marathon where you're like, oh crap, you know, I did feel really good and I did go too fast instead of kind of being in it for the long run. Um, right, and that's because you're tapered, right? Like if someone went yeah. and did a marathon <laughs> effort untapered, they, wouldn't, they yeah. wouldn't go out too hard. It's because totally they are different. tapered, they're feeling good, yeah. Yeah, it's totally different. It's a lot easier to stay in that range. But when you're tapered, you're like, oh, I feel great. Maybe today's going to be an epic day. And then you get to mile 18 and you're like, oh, no. Um, anyone who's ever been there before. But um, yeah, so kind of getting into that kind of 10K to 5K, um, I think transition would make the most sense next. Um, and I know, too, like I, from my experience that I want to pick your brain about this, too, we can talk a little bit about like people who have maybe more fast twitch versus slow twitch makeup or history and what might come easier for them. Because I know for me, the 10K is like the worst distance ever for me to race. It's just really hard for me to find that effort. And a lot of that's just because I don't have a ton of experience in it either. But what do those paces feel like um, compared to, again, coming down the spectrum here? Right. And I think when you get to these paces, it's almost like how I like to talk to my athletes about it is this is kind of where like having a coach can be helpful or just having like some sort of understanding of like workout construction, 
again, you don't have to have a coach for that. Um, you can be a coach yourself, but having some understanding of that can be helpful, right? So the idea being like, okay, so say I were just to tell someone like, hey, here's a workout and I just want you to run fast, right? So you run three minutes fast, which is purposely vague. So stay with me here. And then mm-hmm. two minutes, easy pace. So not recovery pace, it's your normal easy pace, right? That would be kind of like, again, that would be pretty much, let's no, let's put it this way. So three minutes fast and like one minute, easy jog recovery. Again, not recovery pace, easy jog. So say your normal easy pace is nine minutes, then run nine minutes during that easy pace. That would be a great indicator of what your thresholds, depending on your, your speeds, threshold slash 10K effort would be because you don't have a lot of time to recover, okay? So you have to be in that zone of like, all right, I'm gonna run fast, but not so fast, I have to walk this recovery. I'm gonna be doing this six to eight times, okay? But not so slow where like my easy jog like feels like super spry. And like, I'm actually like running marathon effort during my easy runs, right? Conversely, if you're like doing, all right, we're gonna do like two minutes on, two minutes off. Okay, I want you to run fast and then have it. And then again, to your normal easy pace recovery, that two minutes would probably be close to your 5K pace. Okay, because because you're getting that one-to-one ratio, you're having a lot of time, comparatively speaking, to recover from that effort. And if you're saying, okay, I want you to run as fast as you can while still being able to handle this recovery and to do in that situation, do that seven to 10 times, that will probably be pretty close to your 5K pace. And then another similar workout that some people like to do if they're more track-based would be 200 meters on, 200 meters off for three miles. Right. The idea being like, okay, I want you to run fast. Basically, so basically, as you start with the easy pace, you say, okay, the recovery is easy. During the up tempo part, I want you to run as fast as you can while still being able to handle an easy paced 200 meters after the fast 200 meters. And I think that's an easy way of figuring that out. Um, so I like to think about it in terms of like, hey, let's start with the recovery paces first in the workout. And with that knowledge, how fast can you go and still? you know, maintain your relatively consistent times throughout the workout. And at the end of the workout, say, hey, like, hey, I didn't completely crush myself, right? Like, I like the the visual I like here is like leaving a little, leaving a little space for cream in your coffee. Okay. So like, as if you could do one more rep, right? Yeah. Without like, without like, you know, say, say the coach was sitting there, say Holly's your coach, she's sitting there next to the track with you. And you're supposed to do six by three minutes on one minute off. And after the sixth one, she's like, actually, you know what? We're going to do seven today. Like, and you can still do it. It's not a problem. Okay. So that, I think when we get to those efforts, I really think it's about, again, like I said, starting with, all right, what's the recovery and working backwards from there with the idea of like, Hey, let's try to get these relatively even paced throughout the workout. Yeah. I love that visual. I think that's effective too, because I think when someone is first trying to figure out what these gears are for themselves, like maybe they've only ever easy run and they're going to try some workouts. Um, like you're probably going to mess up, (laughs) you know, the first couple that you do, because maybe you don't know how to pace yourself. So if you have, you know, five to 10 repeats and you get through the first three and you're, you know, absolutely gunning it and you can't even complete the rest of the workout or you're progressively getting slower, 
through those follow-up intervals. You know, it doesn't mean that you stink. It just means that, you know, you need to pace yourself better and you're trying to still figure out what that feels like. And that I think too can come with just more racing experience because we all probably know what it's like to maybe finish a race and feel like we are absolutely crawling through the finish line and just trying to finish because we went out too fast versus finishing, you know, super strong kind of taking that to your workout. So I like the visual a lot of like, okay, could you do one more rep? If we just like move the finish line, would you still be okay? Or would you have a total meltdown? <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of the reasons I'm talking about it this way too, for our, this is for my type A runners out there. Okay. First of all, stop worrying about what the exact pace is. Just stop. Yes. Okay. Yes. Listen, two minutes, too slow, two minutes, too fast. It's meaningless. It's literally meaningless okay this is we use vdot as part of mccurdy trained for our scheduling for our scheduling app as part of vdot i have to enter a specific pace for for the mm -hmm. workouts and i despise this and i tell my athletes every time i, I bring them on as, as a as an athlete i'm like ignore that <laughs> ignore the pace that i'm putting in there i have to put in a pace that's just the way it goes the intent of the workout is what matters that is the chief thing here. Give yourself tons of grace, positive or negative. All right. First of all, don't be too type A. Like, am I hitting my pace? What is this pace? Okay. Just it's meaningless. Okay. The intent of the workout is what matters. Okay. Because there could be a lot of factors. What if it's super hot? What if it's super cold? What if you're coming into this um, and you're fatigued because you didn't sleep well? What if you didn't eat properly? Right. There can be a million factors that can influence how you're feeling on the day. But how you're feeling in the day is what matters in terms of stress on the body. And that's the only thing that matters. In addition to this, all of the, all of these things that we're talking about, if you want to associate certain times specific to them, means also that you're basically adjusting for um, fatigue, you're adjusting for temperature, you're adjusting for wind, and you're adjusting for elevation gain and loss of the route, which Holly, you live in New Hampshire. Like if I gave you a specific, Hey, I want you to hit 556 pace on your two minute intervals. It's like, okay, great, Matt. Well, guess what? I leave my house. And it's a 7% incline. Like what is that supposed to mean? Right? So all of a sudden, <laughs> am I just like sprinting uphill? Or what am I going on downhill? Should be going faster. So that all of a sudden, if someone gets too strict about what certain times mean, especially in a workout setting, and I'm talking about easy pace here, we're talking more of the, the workout side of things, that maybe pushes them to a track to try to eliminate as many of these variables as you can. There's nothing wrong with a track. I, I like to run on the track. I think it's fun. However, mm -hmm. we oftentimes don't race on a track. So doing these workouts on the same kind of topography that we race on, I think is eminently more helpful than doing some of these on the track, which is why I oftentimes do my workouts time-based. As you mentioned, as you might have heard, like I'm not talking about like, hey, 400 meter repeats, half mile repeats, right? Stuff like that. I'm talking time-based because I want to adjust for the fact that I want people to be training on the same source of topography that they're going to race on and who are just near their homes. They don't have to be driving to every workout, right? So with that in mind, that also is a huge factor here. Right. So if all of a sudden you're doing six by three minute and the first two minutes of a rep are uphill, guess what? It's going to be slower. That's mm -hmm. just that, that's the brakes, man. What do you want me to tell you? The last minute is going to be faster because you're going to be going downhill. And that's fine, too. There's nothing wrong with that. This is why we talk about marathon effort. Right. So as opposed to marathon pace. Right. When I'm using the right diction, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying marathon pace. I'm saying marathon effort, no, threshold effort, 5K effort, VO2 max, which is an effort based reading. 
that is the, the point of it. So don't be too type A, but am I hitting my times? And what does that mean? It'd be, everything's fine, first of all. Second of all, if you're putting stress on your body and then you're recovering from that stress and the workout was a success, right? And then ultimately, in order to do these workouts and to do them well and to do it in a sustainable way, it means you're probably gonna have to run them on the roads that you live by, in which case, unless you're one of my Florida or Houston runners, that there's gonna be topography changes and that's not a bad thing. Totally, totally. I know I recall a workout I had to do that my coach had given me. It was just meant to be a progression run. And of course, like the progression piece of it was very vague, like finish at this effort or this effort. And it was all vague anyway. But I perp I started um the like workout portion of that run going a slight downhill. And then I realized, you know, I have to turn around. And I was like, this is supposed to be a progression, you know, where as type A runners, we want those splits to reflect a progression workout where we're getting faster each split and I'm going uphill, you know, the second part of the workout. So I was like, well, the splits are pretty even, but I promise you the effort was there. Um, you know, and that's, I think the hardest thing to adjust to if you're, you know, used to seeing like a lot of splits and wanting to be very type a about if you're hitting your paces, what does that mean for the race? Um, you know, as you get more experience, you should be able to understand, like I completed the intent of that workout, even if the splits you know, don't reflect what they did the last time I did this workout. Right. And this, and that's, then that's exactly what you want to do. Like, obviously it means that maybe on certain, certain routes, or, I mean, certain workouts, you, you choose a different route over another route, right. <laughs> you try to adjust for certain things. If it's tricky for you, right. Some you're not used to doing this. Maybe you choose a flatter, a flatter um, route on workout days and other days, or you kind of time it, um, things like that. Uh, you know, if I leave my neighborhood. If I take a left, it's going to be super hilly. If you take a right, it's not. I can go either way, right? So you know that's 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 a big deal. Also, this is one of the really useful things with Strava, and I think you know Garmin and Coros are trying to do these effort-based readings uh, as well. I think the Coros one isn't isn't great. That's the app. That's the the uh, the GPS watch I have. I think the Gap Pace on Strava is really good for dedicated amateur runners. I think with pros, it gets a little wacky because they're so fast it like breaks the algorithm. Like they're like, hey. You're in the gap, I should explain. Gap means grade adjusted pace, meaning grade a percent grade of the road, either uphill or downhill, right? So say you're running uphill at nine minute pace, maybe your gap or your gap pace, which is a little bit redundant, which is always it's always how I say it though. Maybe your gap is 7.30 effort, right? So maybe it's a 7.30 pace, even though you're running nine minute pace. Again, or if you're going downhill on that same slope, so you just turn around, like you were just describing, all of a sudden you're coming downhill, Maybe you're running again, nine minute pace, but maybe your gap is a 10, 15, right? And the, the Strava algorithm gives you more credit for the uphill than it takes demerits down for the downhill, which is why, mm -hmm. like if you run CIM and you look at someone's gap pace for CIM, mm -hmm. it's actually, you know, a little bit faster than their normal pace, even though CIM is a net downhill because it adjusts more for the uphill than it takes away for the downhill. Anyway, this is all to say, if you are someone who like, hey, I just love numbers. Like that's just, that's just me. Like, yeah, I'm type A about it, but you know what? It served me well. And I just, I enjoy that part of my life. Well then make sure you're looking at the right numbers. Yeah. Right. So look at the great adjusted pace instead of the, just what's, what's my pace per mile? Because that, well, while not perfect and there's no silver bullet metric for any of this stuff, in at least is a closer approximation to what's happening. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if one workout doesn't like the one I just described, if it doesn't go like perfectly on paper from a pace perspective, if the effort's there, it still counts. <laughs> um, so, and then kind of looking at the, the 5k, now we're getting down into like more of the one mile. And for anyone who's probably more identifies themselves as like a half or full marathoner, who's focused on those distances, this probably just feels fast. <laughs> um, like, you know, kind of what's the difference between someone practicing for those types of efforts compared to more of like the strides or even like sprinting, um, like you talked about before. Right. So your 5k slash VO2 max um, yeah. effort is kind of basically like as fast as you can, not fast, you can, but like basically 95 to 90% effort or so. That's not, that's not the right percentage. That's more strides. I'm trying to say it like basically your stride doesn't change. Right. So you think about someone who's sprinting, they don't look the same as someone who's running a 5k, the, you know, in terms of like that same person, right? Their hundred meter stride, if you look at it from a silhouette perspective, looks different than it does for a 5k. Again, I'm not talking about elites. I'm talking about people who, you know, run a 5k between 20 and 32 minutes. Right. So that's, it just, it looks like their normal stride. It's just faster. It's just more explosive as opposed to like you visualize like an NFL running back running down the sidelines. They got the high knees. They got the leg kick going like above their waist as they, as it like, you know, the heel goes above their waist as, as their return leg that that's different. Right. So strides is, can be kind of more like a sprinty type thing, whereas a 5k effort is just fast. So the idea being most of the time you're going to see a 5k effort, you're going to see it in a two to three minute segment where when you finish that up-tempo segment, like you're not, you're not disappointed that it's over. Okay. <laughs> so again, you're not like completely wasted because it's not, you're not running the 800 meters here, but you're not that far off from that kind of effort. So the idea is, is something, it's the kind of effort that you need, you feel like you need to recover from. Yeah. Yeah. And if every time you run fast feels like that and you're and your effort intention was to hit threshold or half marathon, that that's a sign that maybe you need to slow your roll a little bit and discover some of those slower, faster gears. Um, and I think you would notice at like the one minute mark, I think basically you, yeah. at the one minute mark at 5k effort, like you're aware, like you're, you're not like you're start, that's when you start looking at your clock, your watch, like, all right, how much longer am I going here? Like, yeah. Right. The first 30 to 45 seconds probably just feels like fun, fast, like this, this is loose and feeling good. After about a minute or so, you're probably a little bit more aware that like, all right, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be heartbroken if this rep was over soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Um, and then just to touch briefly on like different types of runners and backgrounds, just to kind of identify like fast versus slow twitch. And I think this is, could probably be its own podcast episode if we really wanted to get into the weeds, but for people who, you know, maybe identify themselves as, yeah, I can run easy all day long. That is no big deal for me. It's whenever I have to like switch gears and go faster, it just seems to be really challenging. And then also the reverse where we have people who are like strides all day long, but maybe they're running a lot of their easy runs, maybe a little too fast. And then they burn out too quickly. Like, is there, um, like something that, either of those runners examples should be working on, like, what do you see as a coach? Cause like you said, you coach a lot of different people. Yeah. I think for the fast switch people, it's understanding that like, there's no such thing as too slow, but there is such thing as too fast. Mm -hmm. Right. Those people are not going to be in a situation where like they're running so slowly that their gait is compromised. It's just not like, 
it's not it's not their background i come from that background i was a college basketball player that was kind of where i came from i was also a high school track guy um hmm. so just understanding like hey there's no such thing as too slow take that for what it's worth but there is such a thing as too fast and your aerobic system especially coming from an anaerobic sport like i was your aerobic system um will not match what you think it can do and the 5k and the, the pace calculators on the internet are not made for you they just aren't mm -hmm. right they're made for aerobic monsters they are not made for people like me you know to put that in perspective when i trained for my first marathon it was with the ron mcdonald health running team here in rhode island which is great just hundreds of people and the the tuesday morning workouts i just love doing there's like these guys there these women there that were just super fast and i would do my uh track workouts with the folks who were around three to 305 marathoners okay and i thought they were all training for a marathon at the time like i was but that was around their marathon effort so that was like the group i was in i could keep pace with them i was just coming off of playing college basketball at the time whereas when i was doing my long run I was basically like with a completely different group of people. I was with the people who were preparing for a marathon, like the 330 to 345 group, again, which is plenty fast. But at the same time, it was a completely different thing. It was because my aerobic system was not at all calibrated to my anaerobic system. And even then, I was probably running those long runs too fast, looking back on it. I probably should have been in the more in the four hour group. Um, but it was just like, it was such a departure from my track workouts. So for those people, just like building your aerobic system is not a complex thing. It's just not, it's just do more running or whatever sport you're doing, right? Just do more of it at an easy effort and it will come not fast, but it will be there. It's not a hard thing. It's not, you don't need a running coach to build your aerobic base. It's just run a lot and not too fast. However, if the people who are, you know, they can, again, they can run 1030 pace all day, but at nine minute pace, it feels like the world is ending. You know, you really have to work on strides, especially hill strides, because you're talking about there's, there's a power, there's a power differential problem here. Okay. Yeah. Because even, even at like the mile, say someone's going to race a mile, that's 87 to 90% an aerobic event. I'm sorry, it's 80 to 87% aerobic event. Okay. So even that, and people think of the miles like this, like, you know, redlining fast as I can effort, which it is, but even then it still pulls a ton from the aerobic base. So if someone's like, I just can't go fast. And that's really just like a strength power type issue. Okay. So I think you really want to focus and make sure that you're doing your strength work, you know, as, as your coach advises, make sure you're doing strides, make sure you're especially doing hill strides. Cause that's kind of that middle ground between strides and strength work. It's really a plyometric exercise can really work on power. And that that's going to really help with your top end speed, because if you're not working your top end speed for the anaerobic athlete, um, so the, sorry, the fast switch athlete, um, you know, that's not really that big of a deal because they're probably doing that a lot. Maybe they're still working playing other sports and maybe they're in like a, a basketball league or they're doing volleyball stuff and they're working on power and strength a lot anyway, just in the course of their normal athletic um, endeavors, they're already touching this. Whereas if someone's just like, Hey, I just, I run, I run, I run, you know, my, I run my hour every day and it's fun. And it's always the same pace. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to go faster, you really have to start, you have to feel what it's like to go at your top end speed and then keep pushing that wall or whatever, you know, down, you know, to the side, which isn't the best metaphor. Um, so that you can, you know, because ultimately, 
your top end speed, whatever that is, is going to be a governor on all the rest of your speeds. Okay, not saying that if your top end speed is super duper fast, all of a sudden, all your other speeds will be super duper fast, but you're not going to find anybody who has a 5k pace and a marathon pace at the same pace if they're trained for a marathon. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, that comes back to those pace calculators online. Like if you're more of a slow twitch person, if you put in maybe your marathon effort there and you look at the 5k prediction and you're like, LOL, that's so fast. You know, that might mean that you have a good aerobic base, but you need to work up more on top end and then vice versa. If you're a good fast twitch person, you might look at the marathon prediction after putting in your mile and be like, Oh no, that's, you know, that's not happening. So I think and let me pass away, I would much rather be the slow twitch person. I would yeah. much, <laughs> much, much because, because improving your top end speed is so much easier into not easier. It's quicker to do. Yeah. It takes less time up in aerobic engine. Like you would much <laughs> rather be the person who puts in the marathon time is like, I could never run that 5k than the reverse yeah. because building that aerobic base takes a long time it's not a bad thing but it just does so if you're already there congratulations you're on the bit you're in you're in the more desirable seat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for going into detail about that i think some people i've talked to like identify as one or the other just depending on their background and how they got maybe into running so I think that's important to discuss that not everyone maybe feels the same way about certain workouts. And most people um, aren't polarized, like all the way to one, to all the way to the other. Right. Yeah, I mean, most I think people that, are that, in the middle. That, that's rare. I think, you know, oftentimes we think about these, like I'm one or the other. Also, there's like, there are muscle fibers that can oscillate between the two. And those are the ones that you're actually building when you build your aerobic base. Right. Those are the ones that are potentially converting from fast switch to slow twitch. Um, so again, I'm not like an expert in that sort of thing, but there are, you know, your, your genetics aren't completely determinative in, in this process. Yeah, absolutely. It has a lot to do with your background and then also what you're currently doing in your training. Um, well, I mean, that was a great conversation. I think hopefully people have a better like understanding of like what these different gears are supposed to feel like, and maybe don't get too obsessive over the pace. Um, since I know a lot of runners can, you know, basically judge themselves entirely over pace. Um, where can people find you, Matt, and all of your great services and content that you have to offer? Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. So you can find the Rambling Runner podcast and Road to the Trials on whatever app you're listening to this podcast on, frankly. So uh, also I'm on Instagram at rambling underscore runner. Uh, also, you can find me and eight other fantastic creators over on relay which is a patreon subscription service uh we put out just great work over there that i'm just so excited about people that people you already know if you listen to this you know these people it's Kara goucher peter bronco stephanie flippin marcus brown carolyn sue lindsey hine great people over there i feel like i'm missing one but i'm trying to do this quick um <laughs> and we, we put out you know a bunch of content over there as well which is super duper fun um so i guess i'm in i'm in all i'm in all of those places but ultimately in your podcast app on patreon.com forward slash relay, or you can find me on Instagram uh, at rambling underscore runner. And I'm trying to do a lot more video stuff this year. So if you're listening to this in the spring, hopefully I'll put out a bunch of videos over on YouTube. Nice. Nice. And now I want to ask you the end of the podcast question, um, which I don't know if I warned you about. So surprised, but so if you were finishing like the best race ever. You just had a great day. You're finishing strong. You, you know, did all your training properly. Like we've been talking about, um, what song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you would be feeling in that moment? 
Oh, it would be uh, Victory by Notorious B.I.G. Oh, that's a good one. No one said that yet. That's such an obvious right. answer. I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, and I would that's fast a great forward one. Through the, and I would fast forward through the Puff Daddy verses. Yeah. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt, so much. And uh, have a really good rest of your 2023. I'm sure we'll be talking again. Thank you, Holly. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys, if you like this podcast, you'll love Matt's podcast. Make sure you go check him out. He has great conversations with, honestly, people just like you (laughs) um, on his show. And I really appreciate all he does for the running community and the knowledge that he has helped share with us today. If you guys have been enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice as it really just helps out the podcast. Want to keep spreading the love in this new year. And I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you can take some of these key things um, with you on your next run to help you execute that next speed workout and understand also like why you're doing it. So until next time, guys, happy running and happy pacing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 